Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. We are reading Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 to number 25. I'll read. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious Sorry, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you so much, Iswai. Please do take a seat. Good morning. I um, I've I, I'm going to, have to apologise in advance. I've been fighting off a cold this week. I actually lost my voice two days ago and thought this is bad timing. Um, so I apologise if I cough a little bit. Um, last night when Thea was doing her prayers before bed, she really kindly prayed for my throat to get better. And after she'd finished, I said, oh, Thea, thank you so much. I'm so glad you prayed for me because I'm actually preaching tomorrow morning, so it's really good that I get better. And she went, oh, hang on, mum. Jesus, you really, really, really need to fix mummy's throat (laughs) because otherwise I'm going to have to do the preach instead. (laughs) The word of a lie. I love this kid. How does she really, she really genuinely thought she was the alternate preacher. Um, so some of you are pretty devastated that I, in fact, made it through the night. Um, and you're going to have to listen to me this morning instead of Thea. We are continuing our series, Come Holy Spirit. And today we're going to be digging in to the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to spend two weeks on this. I'm speaking today and Pete Gregg is speaking next week. And then we'll be moving on to the gifts. And the fruit of the Spirit is the organic growth of character that occurs when the Holy Spirit dwells in the heart of a believer who cooperates with his indwelling to become like Jesus. That didn't sound very straightforward, did it? I'm just realizing. I'm like, one line summary, but we'll dig into it. So if the gifts of the Spirit are the way that the Spirit works through us, the fruit of the Spirit is the work that he does in us. 
It's the way that we become people who are genuinely loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled. And the reason why we are to become these things is because this is what God is like. And therefore, this is what he wants to grow in our lives. And the way that we become these things, according to the passage that Isway has just read for us, is that we walk by the Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit. What does that mean? I think it's kind of learning the rhythm of his footsteps. It's practicing the pace of his movements. If you almost imagine, if you also imagine, you know, if you're dancing with someone and you're the lead dancer and the experience when that person kind of keeps in step with you and allows you to lead them and the whole thing just flows and it's beautiful and graceful or the alternative which is that that person refuses to be led or is not able to be led and the whole thing becomes a bit disastrous I think what Paul is trying to say here is keep in step he wants to lead you he wants to grow this fruit in you, and that's what it means to cooperate with the presence of the Spirit. In this way, it's a little bit like we plant ourselves in good soil so that this fruit can grow in our lives this love, joy, peace, and so on. And I think this is both reassuringly simple and super complex. It raises all sorts of questions like, well, what does it mean to cooperate with the Spirit? How do I do that? And is it his work or is it my effort? What am I doing? What's really going to produce this change in my character? How exactly does he do this? What does it look like? Do we need to grow? Isn't this putting too much pressure on me? Doesn't God just love me the way I am? Can't I just live my truth and be my most authentic self? Or what if I feel too much of a mess right now? What if I hear that list and I think I've broken all those things before breakfast. It feels so hard. And so Pete's going to dig into all those complex questions next week and offer you the answers. But today I'm going to try, I'm going to have a bash at introducing us into this thing called the fruit of the Spirit. And the first thing that I want to note is that Paul says fruit of the Spirit using a singular subject and then goes on to offer a list So any English teachers in the room immediately would be saying, Paul, Paul, what's your grammar, man? You've got the subject is singular and the predicate is plural. What is he doing here? Well, Paul, I don't think had missed his grammar. I think what Paul is doing here is actually really intentional and very significant. The fruit of the spirit, singular, he says, is love, joy, peace, and all these other things things. Paul's trying to express something very profound. And to explain this, I looked at a theologian called Jonathan Edwards, who was writing in the 1700s, and he did his thesis on this topic. And he used a word that I've never heard before to explain what's going on here. So if you have heard this word and you have any idea what he's talking about, you get the prize this morning. The word is this. Jonathan Edwards says, in this passage, there is a concatenation Anyone? Any takers? Someone in here knows, and I'm going to butcher it, but I'm going to attempt a concatenation. The the definition is it's basically a series of interconnected things. 
What Edwards is saying is that it's significant that Paul says fruit singular and then offers a list because these things must always be found in connection with one another and not in isolation. So if you grew up in Sunday school and your wonderful and creative Sunday school teacher taught you the fruit of the spirit and you had a tree with all kinds of, you know, strawberries, raspberries, the whole, did you? I'm sure I wasn't the only one who had that. Um, But sorry to my Sunday school teacher. It is one fruit, but with all these different things. And this, Jonathan Edwards says, is how we know that the Spirit of God is working in someone's character because there has to be an innate linking between these things. If you want to know if the love or the joy or the peace that's growing in your life is real, that they're truly born of the Spirit, then you must see that they are concatenated with all these other things. So what, what does this mean? What is he talking about? To give you an example, we could take one of the fruits fruit, one of the fruit. Um, and let's take gentleness. And, um, and gentleness is an interesting word. I have literally just written my thesis on this one word, so I'm not going to say too much before I say I bore you all to tears. But gentleness is an interesting word because it can be something that we can think of as a personality thing, almost like a Myers-Briggsy. Like, you know, you think of someone who's just a sweetheart, like who's just gentle, who's just, they're just lovely. It's just part of their personality. But the gentleness born of the spirit is different, and partly it's different because it has to be concatenated with all of these other things. One of which is, let's take another example. Okay, faithfulness. So faithfulness requires tremendous courage. And so someone who's just naturally a gentle person might struggle to be courageous, to stand up for the truth, to be faithful to the word of God, to be faithful to their friends or their family. And so a gentleness that's like alone standing might be a personality thing, but when we get it in the mix with these other things, we see that it is different, it is unique. Otherwise, Edward says, we can be mistaken by what he calls counterfeits. Like there are things, there's, there's traits in all of these that we can see everywhere in the world. Like people who aren't Christians will exhibit different ones of these at different times. But Edward says they can be counterfeits unless they are all working together in unity, in harmony, and in unison. Does that kind of, does that sort of make sense? So another example would be you might see someone who, who, who strikes you as being very at peace, but they are also really proud and actually, you know, Edwards would say that because humility is part of the meekness that Paul's talking about in the fruit of the Spirit, someone whose pride isn't truly at peace, rather their peace maybe just comes from being certain about their circumstances, where someone who is humble, their peace comes from the fact that God is certain about their circumstances. And so in this way, we can kind of begin to discern, are these things growing in my life? Have I fallen for counterfeits? Or is the real thing really going on here? And what this means for us, firstly, I think, is that the work that the Spirit wants to do in our lives, it isn't like a personality cleanup, right? It's not a character brush up. I want to be absolutely clear with you guys that, because this is one of these passages that, if we're honest, it looks really nice on a fridge magnet. 
And I want to be absolutely clear that we are missing the point entirely if we think this looks nice. When we get baptized into the Spirit, it isn't a sort of a Christian car wash that we go through and we come out a little bit brushed up and sort of a nicer person, someone who's more palatable or pleasant or polite. Heaven forbid. No, the fruit of the Spirit is not a list of nice things, personality traits or character traits that anyone can have, Christian or not, these things are inextricably connected together and like faces of a diamond, they, they, they are one substance, the fruit of the Spirit, which is, in its essence, a completely transformed, renewed human being who has returned to his original calling in life, to her original calling in life, which is to be an image bearer of God. That's a lot of words. We are not in the Christian car wash business. Adam said to me, you can't use the phrase Christian car wash. That's so cringe, but I'm doing it. He's left the room. (laughs) We're not in the car wash bit. This isn't a clean up. This isn't a polish up. This is a complete reorientation that we might be image bearers, that we might show the world what God looks like. You want to look, know what he looks like. This is it. And secondly, this idea of concatenation, it it gives us a really helpful way to know if we're growing in these fruits or if we've been deceived by the counterfeits. Am I growing in love, but somehow I'm still ill at peace? Am I impatient and uncontrolled at the same time? Have I I settled for a counterfeit someone? Maybe not love, maybe selfish affection. Am I truly growing in joy or is it just super linked to my circumstances or do I have peace or have I just developed apathy towards certain things? Instead of kindness, am I, am I wanting my good deeds to be shown and so on? How can we taste and see the real thing? Well, this is where the good news really kicks in because it's fruit, And it grows in us because it is organic and is what the Spirit is doing. I think sometimes we can hear these things and we just want to, we want to kind of do it and work ourselves up to it. But that's not how a plant behaves when it wants to grow fruit. It has to just bed itself into good soil. It has to open itself up to good light and the fruit comes organically. It makes me think of our little six-month-old Baby Noah, he can't crawl, he can't sit up by himself yet, he can't walk, but he so desperately wants to do all those things and he's so just perpetually frustrated and he, I can see him up there at the back and he'll lie in his little bed and he'll hold on to both sides and try and do a sit up. You're like, dude, your core strength is even worse than mine. You don't stand a chance of raising yourself up. We just, but we're like this. We can't do it ourselves. And this is extraordinarily good news, you guys. We can't do it ourselves and we won't do it ourselves, but we don't need to. So let's look at the words of Jesus himself, John 15. Jesus says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean. You're already clean. This isn't about earning our salvation, okay? You're already clean. 
because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain on the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Remain in me, Jesus says, and you will bear much fruit. He says it so many times, doesn't he, in that one small chunk of words, remain in me. Another translation says, abide in me. You could translate it almost literally to make your home in me. Andrew Murray, the 19th century theologian, says, abide in me refers to that which we have to do. We have to trust and obey, to detach ourselves from all else, to reach out after him and cling to him, to sink ourselves into him. Isn't that beautiful? And as we sink ourselves into him, we start to change we start to grow. We start to look and sound and act more like him. And as with all good Jesus teaching, this is both so simple and so difficult that he says the same thing. Did you notice? I think he said, I think he says, abide in me four times in such quick succession. I can imagine whoever's taking notes when Jesus is preaching that day is like, what is that? He's just repeating himself over and over. Why does he feel the need to say this so many times? I think it's because it is as simple as sink into me, but it is as difficult as detach from all else. I am no gardener. Very, very far from it, sadly, I have fake plants in my garden, you guys. Not just in my house, in my garden that Thea waters for me. But looking, I know, it's a mum feel on every level. But looking at this passage, it would appear, I think this is the case, that sometimes one of the issues with plants and with pruning is that plants sometimes have a tendency to kind of grow in on themselves. And so rather than focusing towards the sun, they kind of grow inwards and they actually begin to block the light of the sun from themselves. And so gardeners have to come around and trim bits off and help them to grow outwards again instead. And forgive me if you've heard this illustration before, but um, one of my favorite places back home in Northern Ireland is a place called Carrickareed. And it's this tiny, beautiful little island off the north coast. And it's a place where fishermen used to go to catch salmon. And so they built a tiny little, like, rickety rope bridge to get to this place. And um, it's quite scary and treacherous because this rope bridge is going very high across a patch of, um, of waves and rocks. And these fishermen would, would walk across this rickety little rope bridge to do their fishing. And of course... As people would, everyone decided this would become the ultimate test of courage in Ireland. And if you could cross Carrickareed Rope Bridge, you were some kind of um, hero. 
And so it became very popular and it became a very famous tourist destination. People would want to come from all over the place to have the courage and cross the Carricka Reed Rope Bridge, this rickety old bridge. And unfortunately, as with so many awesome spots that become a tourist feature, the National Trust stepped in. Like good destroyers of fun that they are. <laughs> Um, and they, they came along and they made Carricka Reed really safe. They like made a proper legit rope bridge. They got wee guys standing at the side to like make sure you don't do anything stupid. It's all very tame. But it's still one of my favorite places and it's beautiful. And people come from all over the world across this bridge. And uh, if you dare to cross the bridge, you get rewarded with the most stunning views out across the water and across this island. Um, it's actually the spot where Adam proposed to me, so it's very fine, <laughs> guys. Um, but that, none of that, none of that is actually why I'm telling you this story. That's all preamble to pique your interest. Um, and we're walking along this island one day, and suddenly I see there's quite a few people on the island. Suddenly I see there's sort of a queue, like a line. I'm like, there's why there's no queues in nature normally, but. Being British, I, of course, joined the back of the queue. We love a queue to find out what was at the front. And it turned out that at the end of this queue was the best spot to take a selfie, where you could get the best backdrop. This was like Selfie Avenue. And people were lining up to get the perfect shot. And, you know, it, it was a really surreal scene with this beautiful drop and everything going on but people they're standing there and they're doing this <laughs> with their backs to the view and you know I don't think anyone even really saw what was behind them I don't think they knew the majesty that was right there and you know the thing about selfies is there's not that much space in the frame so even when they get home and they're looking back at their pictures you know you're holding it so close to your own face like how much of the view can you really capture? I think they still miss the view. You'll see, you know, another shot, another angle of their own face with just the smallest glint of majesty behind them. And, you know, when I think about this selfie avenue in Carrickareed and I think about these plants that need to be pruned because they turn in on themselves, I think that abiding is hard for us. And therefore, bearing fruit is hard for us because if we're honest, we're so used to our whole face in the frame all the time. We're so conditioned to be focused on ourselves that I think we so often miss the view. We miss what's going on, what the majesty and beauty of God that's actually right behind us. We block our own source of light because we focus on the wrong thing. We get too much of ourselves in the frame and we need to be pruned so that we grow outwards again and I think honestly this pruning looks like just stop for a minute put down the camera get out of selfie mode and just turn around just see the beauty the majesty the splendor of him when Jesus says abide in me he means look at me Worship me, turn your heart towards me, put your eyes on me. And if you do that, and if you can properly take yourself out of the frame, that, that is how you bear much fruit. Abiding in the vine means taking our eyes off ourselves. It's about stepping away from the mirror and towards the majesty 
And the problem is, unless we make space in our lives for the beauty and the majesty of who he is, we'll never really understand who we are. We take these quick snapshots, mostly of ourselves. We throw a nice filter over it, and we still walk around the same person, frustrated with our lack of transformation, our lack of fruit, because the fruit only comes from seeing and abiding in him. Look at him. And what the Holy Spirit does in our lives is he comes in and he dwells in our hearts. And constantly, this is what he's saying is, look at him. Isn't he beautiful? The Spirit of God is living inside us and he's saying, put down the camera, just turn around. Isn't he amazing? And then what happens is, and that Paul is saying, is why I managed to read that whole list of the works of the flesh. And, and what Paul is saying is that those things all come from a craving, from a lust. And Paul is basically saying you need to get a better craving. You need to get a better lust. You need to, you need to look at him. Isn't he beautiful, the Spirit says to you today. And he begins to talk to us, that passage that Peter read is so beautiful. It says, it's Romans 8 that he was reading, and that verse is verse 16. It says, the Spirit testifies to our spirit. The Spirit of God talks to the Spirit of Hannah and reminds me who I am. You are a child of God. He is the most beautiful being in the universe. Look at him, and now you, child, I'm going to make you more like him. And so I say, Paul says, walk by the Spirit and he will grow fruit in your life. It's interesting, isn't it, that Paul in this passage in Galatians, he talks about the works of the flesh or the acts of the flesh. And this is idolatry, jealousy, hatred. You heard the whole list. And then he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It's interesting that he doesn't combine the metaphor. He doesn't say fruit and weeds. And I think that that's really intentional. It's fruit and works. And I think it's because the works of the flesh, it is something that you do. But the fruit is something that you only can open yourself to. And the spirit does. The fruit is supernatural. It's not something we can produce on our own. No matter how hard we try, it's organic. And it is gifted to us as we open ourselves up to the spirit. You cannot make yourself these things. You cannot works of the flesh your way to the fruit of the Spirit. They're supernaturally and organically grown and developed in our lives by the Spirit. And our job is simply to abide, make our home in Jesus. Sometimes it's tempting, isn't it, to want to work our way up into these things, works of the flesh our way to the answer. And I don't know about you, but this can cause a tension in me where you know, I can, I can vacillate between one day I want to indulge my flesh, the next day I want to discipline my flesh, and I can't sort of make up my mind sometimes whether I'm just this broken mess, or, you know, actually I'm quite a well-put-together woman of God who's doing pretty well and enjoys looking down on, on other people. And we sort of vacillate between these things, and the Spirit of God gets alongside me and just says in my ear, you're neither. <laughs> You're neither of those things. You're neither a a mess or a hero. You're simply to abide. You're simply to take your eyes off of selfie mode, put the camera around and abide in him. And as your desire for him grows, your desire for all that other stuff that wrecks your life, 
And let's be really clear about it. It wrecks your life. Jesus comes to tell us this is the way to be truly human. Okay, this isn't the way to just be a good person. This is the way to truly live, he says, and live to the full. Okay, so that other stuff, the works of the flesh, it comes to destroy your life. And the way to get away from those things is to get our eyes on him. If you take a look at the inside of a piece of fruit, and if I was more organized in the props department, I would have one here this morning that we could open up and look at. But if you slice into your favorite fruit, right down to the seeds, and you imagine that thing growing up out of the ground, quietly, organically, until finally it finds its way into your hand, there's something so simple about organic growth. If a bunch of the brightest minds in the world sat around to try to create, to to engineer the growth of a strawberry, it would be this extraordinarily complex conversation. And yet my three-year-old can actually plant one in the soil and one day wake up to a large, ripe, delicious berry. Organic, God-breathed growth is breathtakingly simple and mind-bendingly complex. The work he's doing in your your mind and in your character, it is breathtakingly simple, a mind-bendingly complex. And I'm so grateful that I don't have to do it myself. Because the greatest minds in the world, they can't stand around and try to engineer answers to some of the complex problems that we are facing in our lives right now. Because trying to change and even knowing what or how to change is so complicated. But organic, God-breathed growth is so simple. Just abide. Just put yourself in the right environment. And you're going to grow into something far more beautiful than you could ever design yourself. A simple seed grows into a beautifully complex fruit. And a simple human grows into a beautifully complex image-bearer. Don't settle for anything less. The fruit is organic, but it is not automatic. There must be a cooperation with the Spirit. The Spirit's not this sort of perpetual motion machine which just automatically sort of pours these things into our life. He's a divine person waiting to be depended on for his ministry and expecting us to keep in step with him. So how on earth do we keep in step with the Spirit? I want to finish with this story of, um, of the old farmer who lost his watch because this really helps me when I think about walking in step with the spirit. And a farmer lost his watch one day while he was working in his barn. This watch was very precious to him because of its, its sentimental value. And he searched the barn high to low and he couldn't find it anywhere. And he looks outside of the barn and he sees a bunch of children playing and he says to the kids, there's a watch hidden in this barn, the first person that can find it will get a prize. And the kids all come in and they tear the place apart looking for this watch. And finally, they all come out one by one, exhausted and say, we couldn't find it. But one little boy comes to the farmer and he says, please, can I have another try? And the farmer says, go ahead. He's lost all hope at this point. The boy goes into the barn and five minutes later, he walks out holding the watch. And the farmer says, What did you do? How did you find it? And the little boy said it was easy. When everyone was gone, it became quiet. And all I had to do was lie down and listen for the tick. 
And I think this yielding to the Spirit, cooperating with the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, it's creating those spaces in our lives where it's quiet enough to hear the tick. It's quiet enough that we might know what he wants to do in us. Why must we keep in step with the Spirit? Why is it so important? It's because, and if you read that passage, Romans 8, the whole way through, it is because it says the whole creation is waiting in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Our destiny is to be image bearers of God, to show the world his love, his goodness, his kindness, and the world is groaning and desperate for this, for the the children of God to be revealed. Heaven forbid, you guys, that we try and be a bit nicer. We are called to be image bearers. We've talked in a lot of abstract terms. I'm just going to end with a quote from this book, The Road to Character. And then we're going to invite the Spirit to do what he does best. And I just love this because I think it puts it a little bit more concretely than I have. Occasionally, even today, you come across certain people who seem to possess an impressive inner cohesion. They are not leading fragmented, scattershot lives. They have achieved inner integration. They are calm, settled, and rooted. They are not blown off course by storms. They don't crumble in adversity. Their minds are consistent and their hearts are dependable. Their virtues are not the blooming virtues you see in smart college students. They are the ripening virtues you see in people who have lived a little and have learned from joy and pain. Sometimes you don't even notice these people because while they seem kind and cheerful, they are also reserved. They possess the self-effacing virtues of people who are inclined to be useful but don't need to prove anything to the world. Humility, restraint, reticence, temperance, respect, and soft self-discipline. They radiate a sort of moral joy. They answer softly when challenged harshly. They are silent when unfairly accused. They are dignified when others try to humiliate them. Restrained when others try to provoke them. But they get things done. They perform acts of sacrificial service with the same modest everyday spirit they would display if they were just getting the groceries. They're not thinking about what impressive work they are doing. They're not thinking about themselves at all. They just seem delighted by the flawed people around them. They recognize what needs doing and they do it. They make you feel funnier and smarter when you speak with them. They move through different social classes, not even aware it seems that they are doing so. After you've known them for a while, it occurs to you that you've never heard them boast. You've never seen them self-righteous or doggedly certain. They aren't dropping little hints of their own distinctiveness and accomplishments. They have not led lives of conflict-free tranquility, but have struggled toward maturity. They've gone some way toward solving life's essential problem. These are the people who have built a strong inner character, who have achieved a certain depth. In these people, at the end of this struggle, the climb to success has surrendered to the struggle to deepen the soul. Can we stand together?
come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. God, we want to thank you that we we don't have to try and do this by ourselves, but that this is what you want to do in us. I want to pray right now. I think for some of us here, I think there might have been a bit of a, a resonance with that, that picture of the baby who is just so frustrated trying to pick himself up. I'm just so frustrated, God. I have been trying and failing and trying and failing. And I think the Holy Spirit wants to do some work in you today that says stop trying and start abiding. Just turn around once again. And so if that's you, I want you to just take a moment right now. Maybe put your hand on your heart as a sign that you want to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You want to keep in step with him. You want this fruit to grow. And so Holy Spirit, for each one of those responding right now, I want to pray, come Holy Spirit. Lord, would you would you point their eyes once again back to the beautiful giver of all of these fruits? Would you point our eyes back again to you, King Jesus? Would you teach us to abide? And I pray right now for breakthrough, for very specific issues that people have been trying to work on. I want to pray right now for supernatural breakthrough, that Holy Spirit, you would set people free from the things that they have been, the chains that they've been trying to break. I want to pray for supernatural breakthrough right now, that by the power of the Spirit, you might turn away from those things and fix your eyes once again on Jesus and know the freedom. You're already made clean. You're already made clean. Now remain in Him. Come Holy Spirit.